and we'll make sure that all of our loyal roadies get a bottle. How's that sound, Mike? Well, I'm going to bring a gun with me so I can kill some deer. I love it. He wants to go deer hunting. <laughs> yeah. So if you, can bag a, if you can bag a big buck in a barrel in the same trip, that's pretty good, right? We would we would make a label calling it the buck barrel. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to another trip down the Bourbon Road with your hosts, Jim and Mike. So grab a glass of your favorite bourbon and kick back. We would like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of The Bourbon Road. Find out more about their fine rustic furniture at logheadshomecenter.com. Hello, everybody. I am Jim Shannon. And I'm Mike Hyatt. And this is the Bourbon Road. And today, Mike, we are having another good whiskey on StreamYard with a guest from Frey Ranch out in, I want to say near Lake Tahoe, but Fallon, Nevada, right? Yep. Fallon, Nevada. So we got Colby, Frey, and hopefully his wife on, Ashley, maybe. (laughs) Um, So we got Frey Ranch whiskey in front of us right now. We got they were kind enough to send us two bottles of their straight bourbon whiskey and their uh, straight rye whiskey. Well, Colby, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, we certainly hope to get Ashley on here. She's fighting some technical difficulties, but assuming she can get past that, we'll have her in here shortly. And if not, we'll just, us three guys will just keep chatting and, and drinking a little bit of bourbon. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. Hopefully she can make it. Well, we're not going to waste a whole lot of time, Mike. I'm going to beat you to the punch this time. You're not sipping that whiskey before I announce it. Stop. Stop. Too late. Too late. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So uh, we're going to get straight to the whiskey here. We like to do that on the show. And then we'll get get to the details about what you do and where you are. For the first pour of the show, we have the Frey Ranch Straight Bourbon Whiskey. It's a 90 proof whiskey. It's a four grain whiskey. And, uh. I think we should go ahead and nose it and taste it, talk about it a little bit, and then you can give us the background on this one. Colby, you said this had 66% corn mash bill and then equal parts of rye, wheat, malted barley, right? Well, they're not equal parts, but they're all in between 10 and 12% each of the remainder, so they're fairly close. But yeah, that's 66, it's two-thirds corn. I'd say this has got a very floral note on it. It's that corn's really coming through with being the major grain. Some a uh, little bit of burnt sugars in there, burnt caramel. Yeah, and I'm picking up some of that rye. I mean, I'm getting a little bit of a minty kind of note on it. It's peppery, minty. Was it hard candy with the red and white stripes on it? Peppermint candy. <laughs> peppermint candy, yeah. So not... Not that level of peppermint, but a hint of that peppermint. But it kind of reminds me of those little wafer red and white candies. Colby, earlier you were talking about how it had that kind of creamy texture to it when it coats your mouth. And I, I get that all day long. It it definitely, that first swallow, it just coats your mouth and popping with all kinds of flavor. That peppermint's kind of popping out. Just a little bit of spice on the back end, not too spicy. 
um, man, it's some, some tasty whiskey. Yeah. I attribute that creaminess to the wheat. I think it really adds, it coats your mouth and really adds to the finish of the whiskey that uh, spicy you're getting from the rye. And so that's why we wanted a four grain bourbon because it really adds um, a little bit of complexity instead of being just creamy or just spicy. We get both of those flavors along with the kind of little bit of sweetness from the corn. We're really, really, really excited about it. So the more I sip on it, I'm getting a little bit of almond in there too now, Mike. You know, the oak played a big part in this too. Yep. So it's an aged an average of five years. But here in Nevada, we have some extreme temperature differences. I mean, it's a uh, hundred plus degrees for a few weeks in the summer and it's zero degrees for a few weeks in the winter. And so that really helps it age, you know, in the barrel warehouse, they're unheated, uninsulated. And uh, uh, a lot of people taste our, our young whiskey and think it's a lot older than it really is. Does that zero degree temperature, does that, does that pretty much stop the maturation process in the middle yeah. of winter? You know, I don't think so because what's happening is it's expanding during the hot summers and it's contracting during the cold winters and it's sucking it out of the wood and pushing it into the wood. And it's really helping it to kind of get a little bit of movement in the barrel that really helps it age and get that that flavor. And then also come in contact with that char layer that, that is also helping to absorb the impurities from that charcoal or carbon layer. Now, are your barrels toasted and charred or uh, are they a heavy char? They're all charred. So we have a char four on the staves and a char three on the heads. And we wanted a little bit of of complexity there too, where it wasn't all just char four or char three, but they're all on the heavier side of the char level. Yeah. Okay. And you're using full-size barrels? Yep. All 53 gallon full-size whiskey barrels. All new. That's good to know. Yeah. So Colby, Frey Ranch really is a ranch or a a, a large farm, right? You're 1,500 acres. Yep. So my family started farming in Nevada in 1854. Keep in mind, Nevada didn't even become a state until 1864. So we've been continually farming in Nevada since 10 years before it was even considered a state. And we've always grown wheat, rye, barley, and corn. And so um, for us, it was a way to really showcase our grains in this whiskey. And so my wife and I got together and said, what better, what's the best way that we can really, um, you know, show the grains, show people, let people experience our grains. And we figured it was whiskey. I've always loved whiskey. Um, but instead of just selling the grain on the open market, like we always had to, to cattle farms or, or, you know, just to anybody and not really seeing where the grain ended up. And here in Nevada, we have the ideal climate and conditions for growing great crops. Like another example and another crop that we do grow is alfalfa and it ships around the world. This year, our our alfalfa is going to China, Taiwan, Dubai, and Japan. And it's because we're in this ideal um, growing environment. We have great water. It all comes from the Sierra snowmelt, which is on both sides of Lake Tahoe. It all comes to a reservoir and, and Tahoe is known for its crystal clear, fresh water, you know, and so we have the best water, we have the uh, best grains, we have a great, uh, you know, growing season here to grow the grains, you know, in the best way possible. Well, and I think of Nevada, I don't think of farming, I think of desert and casinos, I guess, Yeah, um, yeah. which whiskey plays a large role in, but I just don't think of a gigantic farm. Um, yeah. 
so Fallon, the the nickname of our town here is called the Oasis of Nevada. You know, we're we, it's a lot of green in the middle of the desert, and we get all this water from that Sierra snowmelt that that um, you know gives us an abundance of agriculture here. And so there's very little water and very little agriculture in Nevada, but right here where we are is like the heart of the agriculture growing region. So I have to say that. Um, the finish on this is actually a little longer than I expected it to be. I mean, five years uh, is a decent age on a whiskey, no doubt about it, but this has got a lingering finish to it. The finish shines on the oak influence mostly. I think obviously, you know, you get more oak on the back of your palate. I think that's where it's shining a little bit of that pepper, a little bit of that oak, nice little gentle hug, but it sticks with you a little bit longer than I thought it might. So, Hey, cheers to you. Good job. Well, thank you. Yeah. And that's so from the beginning, we always had this in our head that we want to do whatever it takes to get the best quality whiskey. It doesn't matter if it costs a little more money, if it takes a little more time, whatever it takes to get the best quality, that's what we want to do. And it all starts in the field because if we can grow better grains, the better inputs you start off with, with the grain and everything else, the better outputs you end up with. And so by growing our own grains, we can ensure that they're the best quality. And also there's a lot of things we can do in the field that increase quality, but they almost always lower our quantity. And so by growing it ourselves, we can ensure that we're getting the best quality and we can sacrifice that quantity. But grain's a commodity. You can buy it on the open market and it's, it goes up and down like the you know stock market on the, the board of trade. And you can bet that the farmer on the other side did whatever it gets, does whatever it takes to get the best quantity, not necessarily the best quality. And so by growing it ourselves, we really, we really do... Um, you know, sacrifice yield, um, you know, for that quality. So being a, you're a fifth generation farmer, you went to college at the university of Nevada, Reno. Did you had, was that your plan to go to college and get away from the farm or was it always come back to the farm and run it as a better business? I always wanted to come back and take over the farm, but there's a lot of farms. I didn't go to school for agriculture. I went to school and, and for business management. And my dad's actually a CPA and he ran the farm also, but there's a lot of farms that go out of business for bad business practices, not necessarily bad farming practices. And we knew that because of our, our 165 plus years of growing in this particular region, we knew how to grow crops and all, you know, everything that that took, but I went to school for business and that way I could put those together, the agriculture side and the business side and, you know, be more successful that way. So where did the distillery, where did that idea come about? Well, we were looking for ways um, to vertically integrate and we wanted ways to showcase the grains that we were growing. And I had always, I've always been a huge whiskey fan. That's always been my favorite drink. And so we just thought that what better way to showcase these grain that we're already growing than to make them into whiskey and really let other people experience, you know, or, or be able to showcase our grains and, and let other people taste it. So what was that first, four years. How long did you wait until you actually released a product? So is it, our whiskey was an average of five years. There's some that was 5.3 and some that was 4.7 in our big batch that we blended together. And uh, yeah, th- what I tell everybody is it was really hard to wait, except I could taste it whenever I wanted. So that helped a little bit, you know? <laughs> 
Yeah, I'm sure that's tough to sit there and tell everybody, hey, we got to wait just a little bit longer. And then they're like, when's that little bit longer? And then well, just a little bit longer. That trip's just going to be just a little bit longer. We're going to get down this road. Um, kind of like when you have kids and, hey, mom and dad, when are we getting there? And yeah. You got to tell them a hundred times. We're almost there. <laughs> yeah. And, and it was that. We told a lot of people that. We told everybody from the beginning, though, that we're not releasing a product under four years. Um, like I said, it was an average of five. It actually ended up being. But there's a saying in the wine industry that I kind of carry along with me in everything we do that you got to like what you make because you might end up drinking it all yourself. So uh, we made sure that we liked it. We loved it. We wanted to put our best foot forward. We didn't want to release any white whiskeys or anything that wasn't absolutely what we wanted it to be in the final product to get a bad name or anything like that. And, and we really wanted to release a product from the beginning that we're really proud of. So when you um, had that initial idea to start a distillery, now that you're on the other side of all that, and you've got whiskey that you've created, was the process easier than you thought it would be, or was it more involved and harder than you thought it would be? You know, honestly, I feel like it was a little easier maybe because we were expecting it to be hard as, as farmers, we, um, you know, we have to be a little bit of mechanics. We have to be a little bit of plumbers. We have to be a little bit of agronomists and weathermen and all that kind of stuff. And so it's very similar where when we're building our own distillery, we, we did a lot of our um, own planning and, and building and all of our own plumbing and electrical and, and that sort of thing in the distillery. And it really helped us to, um, you know, see how it all works. And, and a lot of people say, how did we do it? And how did we, you know, do all this? And it's how to eat an elephant. It's one bite at a time. You know, you just, focus on whatever you're doing, you do it right, you move on to the next thing. And so we're, we're really, um, you know, proud of it. Love to see you guys come, come to the ranch one day. You got any deer out there? <laughs> oh, lots of deer. There's, I was just driving through, we just got done harvesting our rye and wheat also. And, uh, there's several, I mean, I, there must've been a thousand geese in our wheat field right now. And there's all kinds of ducks and wildlife all over the place. It's really a, a neat place. And I'm always up for a hunting trip, Jim. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, that sounds like a good trip, Mike. It definitely does. We ought to put it on the calendar for sure. What's the best time of year to come out that way? You know, it's, it's really pretty all different times of year. I mean, in the spring, everything's all really pretty and green in the fall, you get a little bit of the yellows and even in the winter when the, when the leaves are off and everything, it's kind of fun. So there's really not a, a best time to come just, uh, anytime. Not when it's 100 degrees, right? Uh, we go inside the barrel house. It's just a, it's a, not only a hundred degrees, but it's also humid. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about your, uh, your bottle. So who came up with this bottle design? Yeah. So this was a long process. My wife, Ashley worked on it a lot. Um, and, uh, it, it evolved to what it is right now. And I don't, did you guys notice on the bottom of it? It has a, our secret message and it says, be good to the land and the land will be good to you. And it's kind of as a farmer, we really have to take good care of our ground, our environment, our soil, everything. Otherwise, we don't have a future. And so I'm really fortunate that my family took really good care of our farm and passed it to me in really good condition. And so now it's my job to take really good care of it and pass it on to my kids in, in as good or better condition than I got it in. And so we feel like that being on the bottom of the bottle in the glass is kind of like our foundation of our whole farm and everything we do. Um then if you look at the, the actual label itself, it's uh, yellow and it's the color of corn. Um, I'll grab a piece of corn here and you can, 
you can tell if you hold up a piece of corn next to the label, it's the same color. And this corn, um, you know, is the basis of, of, um, of the bourbon, but it's also the same color as like our wheat, rye and barley when we harvest it. And so we really wanted to kind of pay respect to that part of the, the farm. And then the label is in the shape of a belt buckle. We wanted to be like a modern take on agriculture without being too, um, you know, old fashioned or, um, you know, too much. And so, it, you know, you wouldn't really know it's a belt buckle unless I told you or you looked at it really. And then it wraps all the way around the bottle, kind of like a belt buckle. And I always wear my grandpa's belt buckle, which is this is the same shape as as my grandpa's belt buckle that, that he gave me. And we have the little metal medallion. And then the topper is metal. It's very heavy. And on the farm, we have to be very ingenuitive. And so what we were looking for is what, what would we just find laying around and, and shove in the top of a bottle? And we kind of felt like this looks kind of like a bolt. <laughs> and we just felt like, ah, oh, it's just a bolt. We'll shove it on the top, you know, and, and, uh, cork it with whatever we got. Um, even though it's, it's eight sided and a bolt six sided, but it looks better eight sided, you know, it's more round. <laughs> right. I, I gotta say that might be one of the heaviest bottles in the whiskey industry. It is, it is built like a tank. Yeah. And so we did that because we were trying to get what we call a smile at the bottom of the bottle. And you can kind of see it in this Oh, this grain jar, but there's a smile at the bottom actually that you don't really notice with the bourbon in it, but the bottom is actually round. Yeah. You can so, see it with the corn. It kind of, uh, so the idea was to generate a smile in the bottom of the bottle and, but that, that bottom has got kind of a really large embossed heavy glass ring on it. I was surprised when they showed up of, I was like, man, there must be six bottles in that box right there. <laughs> I was like, these guys really love us. Yeah. <laughs> Well, as I continue to sip on it, it does develop a little bit. I think, Mike, it probably shines a little bit more for me on the back of the palate. The front's not as sweet as I might spec- expect out of a four grain, but it's it's nice. It's really nice. Uh, it's well-rounded, but it, at the same time, I think it presents a little a little bit more on the back for me. And uh, in a nice way, though. I think in a very nice way. I, and I'm kind of opposite of Jim. I get that sweetness. Still on that front end, drinking it more and more and more. I mean, it just it has opened up in the glass a little bit. I'm drinking out of a different glass than Jim is today. I'm drinking out of a Tua glass, uh, so it could taste a little bit different in the glasses, but it's still got that sweetness. That citrus is coming out now. Um, lots of honeys in this right here. For for me, it's crazy how our bourbon. It depends on what I eat, what I, you know, my mood, you know, if I'm hydrated or dehydrated and I can taste the differences in our, in my, in our bourbon more than I can any other, other ones that I've ever tasted. And I'll, I'll taste it one time and say, that's not ours. And I'll look at it and it's the same bottle I tried yesterday or whatever. And it's just because of all those different factors. And it's, it's really interesting how that works. And I, I, I still can't explain why with this one more than other ones, but it's really kind of fun for me. Uh, when you first start drinking whiskey and you're tasting whiskey with other people and you don't realize that that's the way it works, you get all worried because you're thinking, wait a minute, he's getting that and I'm not, I must not know what I'm doing. But the fact is everybody knows what they like and you can taste it. You know, if you like it or not, but whatever notes you pick up are going to be different from day to day. What you had for lunch, what you had for dinner. Did you stay up all night drinking and <laughs> try to... <laughs> trying to taste some more today it does have a big effect on it and the more you realize that 
you're going to taste notes differently than the guy next to you with the same glass. Less stress. A lot less stress in that drinking. Oh, yeah. We we right. differ a lot. In fact, we differ most of the time. A lot of times we both will like something or dislike something, you know, but the notes that we get are always different. I got to have another little pour of this. This is like my fourth fourth pour here. So that's a good thing. So you you and Ashley have been married for 10 years now, right? Celebrate yeah. 10-year anniversary? Our anniversary is last weekend, yeah. Well, happy anniversary. Yeah, thank happy you. Happy anniversary. Yeah, she stuck with me this long, so that's... <laughs> Now, Ashley's background, She was she from Fallon area? Or? We actually met in college, and she was from a little town called Gardnerville, which is about an hour and a half drive from here. Um, here in Nevada, everything's, uh, we measure distance by time, not necessarily miles. And uh, we met in college, and it was kind of a, a, a neat story because, and she hates it when I tell people this, but... I had, I lived with four other guys. She lived with four other girls. At one point, all four girls in her house were dating the four guys, other guys in my house. So we started dating and then everybody else ended up breaking up except for us. And so it made our wedding really awkward because all my friends and all her friends were all, you know, so. (laughs) <laughs> that's, that's a great story. Yeah. So was it like, okay, the other three are dating. So you kind of looked at each other, shrugged your shoulders and said, ah, oh, we might as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it, it's funny because I, I, you know, she's just the best though. I'm really lucky. So it's a family run operation. So you got other family members there running the ranch too. You said your dad, he was running the ranch before you yep. and then you, and you got some brothers too that, that run the ranch with you. I have a, I have a brother and two sisters, but they don't help me on the ranch. It's just, um, just me. My dad always said from the beginning that only one child can, should really run a ranch because there's not a lot of profit in it, but there's a lot of work and there's always going to be hard feelings that somebody's working harder and everything, you know, and then also farms are really valuable. And so he's a CPA and he always said from the beginning, you'd be smarter to sell the farm invested in some income producing property or some, you know, passive income investment, you could make 10 times more money and not even have to work. And, but that's not, I always told them from the beginning, I don't care. I'm not afraid of work and I don't need to make a, you know, a big income or anything like that. I really want to be a farmer. I want to carry on the farm. And so I was really fortunate that he sold me the farm in 2009 for what it was worth as a business, not necessarily the market value. Because if I paid market value, I couldn't even probably made my first payment. But I was really fortunate because, um, you know, to have the family. Uh, and then I also, I, I just want to do the same thing. And hopefully I'll be lucky enough that my kids want to carry on the farm too. Yeah, that's that's really awesome. It's, it's, it's also good to hear, you know, uh, that ethic and that kind of vision for uh, continuing with family legacy is is getting more rare all the time. So it's awesome to hear a story like that. And, uh, good job. Thank nice you. to hear. So, so Colby, um, do you think you're going to come out with a bottled and bond, uh, bourbon? You know, eventually, but actually our next product is a single barrel, uh, store pick and it's going to be barrel proof. So, um, you know, that's our next product. I really liked our, our whiskey is actually really good at a hunter proof. And so, um, I, I would think that in the future we're going to do that, but we don't have definite plans for it yet. How many, like how many barrels do you have 
put up right now as we talk? I think we're getting, oh, actually this morning we got a truckload of barrels. So I think that puts us just over 7,000. How many rack houses do you have? Two. And so we have our original one, which only holds about 1,456. And then our new one that we just built holds 8,600. And so we're, we got plans to have, we have to have another one by next May so that we can uh, start filling it. And it's going to be a little bit bigger, I would assume, right? Yeah, it'll it'll be a little bit bigger. And keep in mind that we really upped our production the last couple of years because we're trying to grow into our our supply and our market and everything else. And so, um, you know, we're this year I think we're producing sixty five thousand cases worth of of future bourbon five years from now. So, what kind of steel are you using? To, to do everything with? Yeah. So it's a Vendome and it's a continuous still and a pot still. And so, you know, typically you have a continuous still and doubler or a pot still. Mm-hmm. And the way that we operate is we strip everything in a continuous still and then we redistill everything in, in the pot still. And by doing this, instead of putting eight to 10% mash in the pot still and distilling it, maybe distilling it twice or, or whatever, we're putting uh, 40 to 45% alcohol in the pot still. So we're able to get four to five times more per batch and per, you know, per cycle. And it really ups our production that way. And so we kind of get the best of both worlds because we really feel like pot stills, you can, you can really tweak a little bit easier and you can get a head's cut and a tail's cut and, and decide what you want to leave in and not leave in and, and whatever, but a continuous still, is a lot more efficient and a lot faster. And so by, by doing both, we feel like we can get quantity and quality. Absolutely. Yeah. Mike, I think this is probably as good a place as any for us to take a short break. And uh, in the second half, Colby, we'd like to come back and try your rye and uh, talk a little bit more about your operation and, and what maybe kind of what you have going on in the future. Uh, so when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll try that other whiskey and sound good. Sounds perfect. Sounds right. good. We would like to thank Tommy and Gwen Mitchell from Logheads Home Center for supporting this episode of the Bourbon Road. Logheads Home Center, nestled in the hills of Kentucky is an industry leader in building handcrafted rustic furniture. Family owned and operated, they take pride in offering only the very best for their customers. The Logheads, and that's what they like to call themselves, are skilled woodcrafters who are passionate about creating rustic furniture for people who appreciate the beauty of natural wood. Owners Tommy and Gwen don't just sell the rustic lifestyle, they live it. And you can be sure that Logheads Furniture will always be handcrafted in Kentucky by artisans who embrace the simple way of life. Logheads Rustic Furniture is made from northern white cedar, a sustainable wood that's naturally rot and termite resistant. Its beauty and quality will add warmth to your earthy lifestyle for generations to come. Be sure to check out everything they have to offer at LogheadsHomeCenter.com. And while you're at it, give Tommy and Gwen a shout on Facebook or Instagram at Logheads Home Center. Listeners, we're back with Frey Ranch out in Fallon, Nevada. We got Colby Frey on with us, the master 
of farming out there in Nevada, right? Oh, I don't know about that, but yeah, we we've been here for a long time. Well, I'd say 150 years. You you got something down, Pat. Yeah, I don't. Yep, and that's that that knowledge you know has been passed on to me. So I'm really really fortunate. I really haven't been farming for 150 years myself, though. Just so you know, I'm not that old. Not that old. So the second half, we got your straight rye whiskey. It's a bottled in bond, 100 proof, 100% slow grown winter rye that you guys go right there on your farm, right? So it's 100% rye. And uh, as you guys could probably guess, rye is a giant pain in the butt to make. And uh, it's even harder when it's 100%. We found that out the uh, hard way. So our first batch of rye that we ever made um, in a big scale, we made lots of smaller batches and everything else. We filled up our 5,000 gallon fermenter and uh, we thought we were going to be smart and spray a little bit of anti-foam on the top of it. Some, uh, you know, food grade silicone and, and uh, came back the next morning and we had four inches of rye snot on the entire floor of the, the, the uh, fermentation room. You guys familiar with why rye is so difficult to make? Uh, actually, you should you should go ahead and tell us. Our, our sure. listeners will be very interested in that. Yeah. So rye has these. Uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's almost like um, slime, like it, and it's these beta glucans that are inside the rye. And like if you stick your finger in it, you touch it to your thumb and pull it apart, it just forms like a string. You know, it's just like it's almost like snot. You know, and so during fermentation, the yeast is creating CO two. But that CO2 has no way to get it come out of the, you know, the, the solution because it's so thick that it can't just float up to the top. So it literally doubles in size and then it shrinks down. Once it gets to a certain point of the fermentation, there's a certain amount of alcohol. It kind of breaks down those, those polymers and it settles back down to half its size. And so um, ever since then, we always fill up each tank halfway and uh, it comes up all the way to the top almost. And then once it gets to a certain point, it just falls back down, you know, real gently back down to the the halfway point of the tank. And so, um, but we always wanted to make 100% rye because we really wanted to taste what rye tastes like. We didn't want to add, you know, corn, wheat, rye, you know, anything or corn, wheat, barley, because, um, you know, to be called rye, it only has to be 51% or more. And we really wanted to showcase the rye itself. And, and we did. And we also made, which aren't available yet, but we made 100% wheat whiskey, 100% corn whiskey, um, 100% malted, you know, single malt. Uh, and so we could taste each one of our grains and what that specific grain is contributing to the flavor in our other products like bourbon. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's try this. I've been kind of looking forward to this the whole show. So I'm ready. Mike, this has an awesome nose on it. I mean, it just, it is just bursting with all kinds of great aroma out of it. Um, floral notes and that sweet sugar from a cereal. I was trying to think of a good cereal, Jim, that uh, we both love. But uh, I have to think on that for a minute. Yeah, it does have a really nice nose and it is a lot sweeter nose than the bur- bourbon, I think. Maybe some malto meal or no tricks, trick cereal, trick cereal, tricks are for kids. Not well, this isn't for kids, but tricks is. <laughs> <laughs> it's for giant kids like me. Yeah, we're big kids. Wow, that is uh, yeah. So I just took a sip, and uh, the first impression on the palate is wow. 
because it definitely takes me a little bit by surprise. That's a that's a great first sip. Colby, I just got to say, man, congratulations. That thing is a flavor bomb. Oh, um, thank you. It is. It's the nose and the palate to me match up perfectly. The transition is 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 pretty clean as far as the the flavor goes, but the intensity, the intensity of the flavor over the aroma is what takes you by surprise. It's very, very rich, very, very syrupy. It's got a lot going on. You're right, Mike. There's all kinds of stuff going on in that. But, you know, where the nose is 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 really, really nice and, and you, you smell that and you say, wow, that's a great nose. That's a great nose. It hits your palate and you're like, wow, that's a great rye. That's Thank really you. good. And it does not taste like, you know, like a 95.5 from the East, you know, where you might expect, you know, a, a, a lot of uh, a lot of mint and cedar and um, peppercorn. And you just don't get that. You get this nice, rich, syrupy, sweet. Remember those pop rocks you could get and eat little candies and it'll just kind of pop in your mouth. Yeah. And stuff. And that's what I'm getting out of this. Just just. It's just like a like I said, of an explosion of flavor. Um, it's just delicious. Yeah, I'm turning Mike into a rye guy here. Actually, yeah. you're turning rye Mac, Mike into a rye guy. <laughs> yeah, we've been calling it just here internally our sipping rye because this is the stuff you just dump in your glass and sit out on a rocking chair out front and sip on. Well, you know the color on this is a bit dark. How five year old again? Right, five years or older. Yes. That is a dark. Now that's that's darker than your bourbon. Ah, uh, at the same age. It always seems. I don't know. Does it seem like it? I I held the bottles side by side and don't really notice a difference. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's because I'm looking. I I don't have any more bourbon in my glass. I've got rye in my glass and I got bourbon in my sample bottle. So, and they're different diameters. So I probably can't tell. But it seems like it's got a nice color to it. Yeah. Take, so these. These were all put in new barrels as well, just like the, you know, the, the bourbon, you know, one of the requirements for bourbon has to be put in new barrels and, but not necessarily rye. And we put it in new barrels just cause it's, um, it's the way it should be, I think. And what do you do with your barrels after you've harvested the whiskey? Yeah. So we sold them all, um, several breweries, um, a lot of, a couple wineries, and then a lot of people that just came to a, the distillery and wanted to put a couple barrels in their backyard or, or whatever, you know? Sure. Well, bourbon roadies, if you're listening to this and I know you are, and you're a rye fan, uh, the free ranch rye is definitely one you want to, you want to take home. It's, um, uh, it's a flavor bomb. I think the nose is great, Mike, the palate, just reinforces that with a big wow. And uh, I'm really impressed. I I couldn't agree more with you, Jim. Colby, what's the difference between a winter rye and let's say a rye that's grown out on the East Coast? You know, I'm not 100% of, of what they grow on the East Coast. I know they grow it a lot in Canada. And so the difference between like a spring rye and a winter rye is we plant winter rye usually in September, and then we'll har- harvest it around this time the next year, maybe even um, Jul- the end of July, the beginning of August. Now, spring planted usually we'll plant around uh, eight, March or April, and you know we might even harvest it at the same time. But whenever you plant something in the spring, it grows really fast. 
And whenever things grow fast, it, it just doesn't seem to quite have as good a quality um, in our experiences here. And it's just like a you know fast growing tree has a lot of you know problems versus a slow growing tree. And it's the same thing with this. And so we plant it in the winter, and we, it grows really slow over the entire uh, you know the entire winter. And rye will actually grow at any temperature over thirty three degrees, and so uh, and germinate actually also. And so uh, it's it's able to grow at much lower temperatures than most of the other crops. And so uh, by planting in the winter and it growing real slow over the entire winter, uh, it, it just gets a lot better quality. It stools out. It gets a really good root system. And it, it's it's just a lot better quality. So it's kind of, I would call that, a, you know, it was probably when I was growing up and we would plant a winter wheat in Texas, mm-hmm. we were using that more of as a cover crop to protect the soil from erosion and stuff is that was that the same concept with a rye out there yeah and we've always grown rye uh i mean forever and it's funny because we 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 looked into what varieties of rye are the best for whiskey and it just happened to be the one that we've always grown here already but traditionally we would take a few crops for grain but traditionally we grow it for forage and we just feed the whole plant to the to cattle and um, it just happened to be the same variety and, and that we'd always grown. And, and uh, I mean, if you can see the way that the rye looks, it's just a beautiful grain. It's right here. This is rye. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I've talked to a lot of people. This is wheat. This is barley. And then got corn down here. But um, I've talked to a lot of people who do grow rye and they look at our rye and say, man, that is like a big, plump, beautiful, it, you know, it grain. It did look really big. It looked like really fat grain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I've talked to a lot of people, they say rye where we grow, it just looks like grass seed, you know, and ours is, is big, plump, beautiful. And I think that that really contributes to the flavor and consistency of the whiskey too. So I think that erosion control came about in the great depression we've talked about that on prior um episodes where the federal government came in especially in the tennessee and in the uh, ohio valleys and taught farmers how to plant those winter winter crops to keep from uh their ground eroding and i'm pretty sure the same thing happened out there in nevada all all across the united states because we had the great dust bowl right and uh, people were just losing all their topsoil. So they came out and said, hey, this is what you could pr- plant in the middle of the winter to uh, keep your soil from eroding and creating a dust bowl. And not only that, you get another crop out of the ground. Yep, exactly. And so we also plant winter wheat. Um, you know, our wheat that we grow for the bourbon is a, a winter variety that grows over the winter. And we actually can grow winter barley here, which is not very common. Normally, two-row malting barley is all grown uh, as a spring crop. And the reason is barley is really vigorous. I mean, that's why it, it malts so well. When you malt, you're sprouting the grain, you know. And barley will actually, in really humid, wet conditions, will actually start to germinate and sprout on the top of the plant. Like, you know, the grain grows towards the top and it'll actually sprout. And so um, that's why winter barley, it's so uh, growing it all winter. It just doesn't grow as well as spring barley in most places. But here, because we're so dry, um, all of our irrigation water is all flood. It grows. It uh, floods underneath the plants rather than over the grain or the seed or anything like that. And so we can grow winter uh, 
malting barley here. And we're really successful at that too. And then we take it a step further and we malt all of our own barley here on site. So we want to have total control over every part. So like the barley in our bourbon is all malted right here. Our, our single malts, everything's malted. So, so Jim, you know, this question is coming because I heard him say they're growing their winter wheat. Um, are you going to do a full weeded bourbon? So, uh, we actually grew 100% wheat, but we did do a weeded bourbon. So, um, I mean, this our, our normal bourbon has wheat in it, but you're talking about corn, barley, and wheat only? Yep. Yeah. So, we did. So, we did a corn, barley, and wheat. So, we replaced the rye with wheat. We did a corn, barley, and rye. So, a high rye bourbons and a lot of experiments. So, we have 80% bourbon, 15% rye, and then 5% oddballs. So, we also did a, a five-grain bourbon with oats. We did one where we replaced the wheat with oats. We replaced the rye with oats. Um, we did 100% oat whiskey. We did 100% wheat, rye, barley, and corn, which I've, I've actually upped the quantities here recently, uh, the last couple of years, because what I'd like to do is do, instead of a store barrel pick, do a store blend where we can send the store uh, 100% corn, 100% barley, 100% wheat, and 100% rye, and they can pick their own blend that we could custom blend them for the store. Um, we've also done things like a quad malt. So we did our same mash bill as our bourbon, the wheat, rye, barley, and corn that's in our bourbon. And we malted all four grains. So it's malted corn, malted rye, malted wheat, malted barley in the same mash bills and ratios as our bourbon. We made bourbon the day before and filled up barrels. We, then we made our quad malt, we call it. And then we made bourbon the day after. So we got the same age barrels with everything malted so we could see what the flavor profile is different in the, you know, with all four grains malted, uh, we made our own smoker. So we, we actually made our own peat. So, you know, peat is decomposed plant matter and uh, you know, over years and years in these bogs, but we decomposed our own corn stalks and we took the powder that comes off the mill. It's like a real fine, like almost flour. We mixed it with water. And we mixed it with these decomposed corn stalks and we pressed it in bread pans and made blocks of peat that we could take and smoke our single malted barley with and make a, you know, a Scotch style whiskey smoked and uh, have all kinds of experiments that are really small quantities, you know, not, not big quantities like our bourbon or our rye, but there's all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, you guys are having way too much fun out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what keeps us sane, you know. We got to it's it's so much fun being a farmer and a distiller because it's something different every day. And it's there's always problems and it, that's what's really challenging and fun for me is is we always say it's it's not if there's going to be a problem, it's when and how bad, you know, and and how are we going to get through it and and move on, you know. Now, Kobe, where do you, where do you get your yeast strain from? So we have, we buy our, so we buy half of our yeast uh, as a commercial yeast. And then we also use some of our, uh, you know, past fermentations, the last fermentation. And we pump some of that into our next batch to kind of as a starter yeast. And um, yeah, so we use commercial yeast. It's, it's an ale yeast and actually a champagne yeast, both. Oh, well. Did anybody come in and, I mean, I'm sure when you came up with the idea, I said, Hey, we're going to start a distillery. You just didn't start the distillery by yourself. Is there some people out there in the industry where you said, Hey, I need some help. And they came out and helped you or somebody that lended a hand. 
You know, that's a great question, but we actually got our distilling license to legally start distilling in 2006, but there's no state laws in the state of Nevada until 2013. So what that did is that gave me a long time to get our recipes down, our, our growing the grains and, and what we wanted down. Um, you know, what it, it gave us a really big head start for in 2013 when we were able to get a law passed in Nevada for the operation of small distilleries. And so, um, you know, when by the time 2013 came around, I knew exactly what I wanted, how I wanted the still, uh, you know, the still set up how I wanted the distillery building, my quantities, my my mash bills, everything was already figured out and we could start, hit the ground running rather than, you know, figuring that stuff out after we we built the distillery. And so really fortunate for that. So in 2006, when you started that, was were there laws that, that disallowed distilling or was there just an absence of laws altogether dealing with that? Yeah, that's a great question. There's absence of laws together, you know, all together. And so we could, we had our federal experimental license so we could make it, age it, experiment with it. We just couldn't sell it. We couldn't let anybody taste it. We couldn't do anything, you know, in our state because there was no state laws. And so once we got those laws passed for the the operation of, of craft distilleries. And even uh, there's a law in the state of Nevada for estate distilleries, which means if you grow all your own products, the wheat, rye, barley, and corn, like we grow, then, then that's a, a separate license altogether. So Kobe, man, let's go back to this rye whiskey right here. Um, and we've had, you've been on some of friends of ours show, uh, the bourbon lens. Oh Yeah. Um, and I, I got to listen to those guys talk about it. And then I went back today and re-listened to that, that episode they did, Scott and Mike and Jake. Um, yeah. Just to kind of see what their thoughts on. And I was listening to those guys today about some other distilleries. But where I would differ is to say, man, this is... I'd be in trouble if I had this bottle with me at all times because I drink the whole bottle easily. It's... um this could be breakfast, lunch, and dinner right here. It's it is cereal rye, you know. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's uh, it's definitely uh, what 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 cereal did I call that, Mike? Tricks, tricks, tricks is for kids. Yeah, tricks is that uh, that sweet round. Uh, I think there's red, green, blue, different color. But it's kind of a really sweet. It's got that uh, that nice cereal flavor to it. It's kind of, you know, you get it in that milk, and you get towards the end of your bowl, and it's got that real syrupy flavor to it, and it's it's packed with all that flavor. This this is good. This is a good rye. All our roadies out there that are that are loving rye, they're gonna love this one. They're really gonna like it. Oh, I was just gonna say, if anybody sees it anywhere, you better buy it because our first batch was only three thousand bottles. Our distributor sold it out within a couple days, and um, our we're on batch two right now, which is also uh, almost sold out. And then uh, batch three won't be available until uh, the end of November, beginning of December of this year. So, so we ended up with bottle five seventy three of three thousand is what we ended up with. And batch number one, right? Batch number one. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it's kind of a funny story between batch one and two. We we pretty much released them both at the same time uh, or bottled them both very close to the same time because, you know, to be bottled in bond, it has to be distilled in the same season by the same distillery, uh, 100 proof. Uh, and 
this one was distilled on the edge of the season. So, I mean, it was literally done at the end of one month and the beginning of the next month within days of each other. But just because it had been just two separate months or, or the date, we had to actually put batch one and batch two had to be two separate batches. Well, you followed the rules. You did yep. it right. Yeah. So, Kobe, I got, we got, I got one last question for you. Or maybe I got it some more. But we, we haven't asked this question of anybody in a while. So we always talk about the bourbon road and how p- people started their bourbon road. Do you remember your first sip of whiskey? Oh, man. Yeah. So I, I kind of remember, okay, this is when I was really, really, really young. And I had, I just lost a tooth. And I remember my dad saying, stick your finger in here and put it on your tooth, you know? And I remember just thinking like at that time, like, what the hell is this? Like, this is crazy that you're actually drinking this, you know? And then, uh, then I got into college and, uh, we kind of talked about this earlier, but one of the things I really learned how to do in college is how to drink whiskey. And that was a, you know, kind of a neat part of my life. What was your go-to whiskey at that time in college? You know, that's what's crazy is I never had a whiskey that was my favorite, but I just liked them all. And that's what I like about whiskey versus, you know, vodka or gin or anything else is like, and I, I, I don't know if this is really a word, but I call it whiskey. People are whiskey curious. You know, everybody's always willing to try a new whiskey and, and t- taste things and everything else. Whereas with vodka, gin and everything else, everybody's got their brand. And with whiskey, um, I, I've always loved just trying different stuff. Well, I'd say your whiskey, your bourbon, or your rye, it, it stands up to anything else me and Jim have uh, drank. It's, it's definitely great. Um, I showed you in our break a couple bottles I had sitting on my desk. And when I set those on there, on the desk together with yours, it would be hard to tell where those came from. If there was no label on them, they were just in a blank bottle. It'd be hard pressed to tell uh, which bottle came from where. We've got an Oregon whiskey on my desk or, a, or actually a Washington whiskey a Nevada whiskey, a Texas whiskey, and a Kentucky whiskey. One of those bottles is 25 years old, and I'd be hard-pressed to tell which one's which if there was no labels on there. So um, you guys are doing a barrel select. You have a barrel select program? Yeah, we're just starting it. That's our next uh, release. We actually just released the bourbon in December of last year, so it hasn't been very long. Uh, the rye about a less than a month ago. Uh, about a month ago. And then uh, in the next couple months, we'll start our barrel uh, single. Uh, it'll be, uh, how do I say this? It's a single barrel store pick barrel proof program. So that's a, a long, that's a mouthful right there, but uh, that'll be our next release. It'll be really neat. So our normal label is yellow with the black wording. It's the inverse. So it's a black label with yellow lettering. There you and go. So, That'll stand out. That'll yeah. stand out. Yeah. So Mike and I are coming out. We've already decided that when we do, we're going to pick a barrel from you and we'll make sure that all of our loyal roadies get a bottle. How's that sound, Mike? Well, I'm going to bring a gun with me so I can kill some deer. I love it. He wants to go deer hunting. <laughs> yeah. So if you, can bag a, if you can bag a big buck in a barrel in the same trip, that's pretty good, right? We would we would make a label calling it the buck barrel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Colby, it has been an amazing journey with you here. I mean, we've really enjoyed your whiskeys. They're both fantastic. The rye, in my opinion, shines above all. But, you know, that's just me. I'm a rye guy. Mike, what's your opinion? 
Man, God dang it. <laughs> I, 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 I'm asking this on purpose. <laughs> so from the professed weedy king of Kentucky, I would say go out there and get this bottle. If you can get it, listeners, it is absolutely delicious. I'm not going to say it stands up against a wheat because that's a totally different category. But for a rye, this might be one of my favorite ryes of all time. And that's saying a lot. Um, I, I, I pride myself in knowing my whiskeys and stuff and this is absolutely delicious um some people would say it's smooth i wouldn't call this smooth i would call this just that burst of flavor that you're gonna get from a great whiskey so go out there get it today because this is the last of batch one as kobe just said you can get that batch two coming up though you better get it awesome well kobe would like to Give our listeners the opportunity to know where they can find Frey Ranch on the internet, on social media, on uh, all of your outlets. So if you'd like to take a few moments and tell them uh, where you are on the on the internet, that'd be great. Absolutely. So uh, we're at www.freyranch.com. Um, if you uh, look at all social media, it's Frey Ranch Distillery. Um, and then also, uh, we're right now we're just distributed in the state of Nevada and Northern California, but we're lucky because we have a retailer, uh, in California that can ship to all 50 States called the bounty hunter. Um, and then there's another one that can just ship to the, to the Western United States called Rocco. And so that's how you can get it. We're, we're really, uh, fortunate to have such a great following in our area right here so far. Awesome. Well, Mike, you want to. You know, tell people where they can find us. So if you're listening out there, first off, scroll up, hit that subscribe button if you like what we're saying. Also, leave us a review. It could be a bad review, but we're hoping you love it and give us a five-star review. Um, that can be on any social media platform that you're listening to us. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We also have a Facebook group called the bourbon roadies and it is a private facebook group which means you have to request to be a member we only want you to answer three questions we want you to make sure first of all that you're 21 years of age and you can legally drink we want to make sure that you understand that you're getting yourself into a bourbon group and that you're going to be very nice and play nice with the other members so we don't put up with a whole lot of uh Badness in there? Is that the good word, Mike? <laughs> rudeness. No rudeness. 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 We don't put up with any rudeness in that group. Like Woodrow McCall said in Lonesome Dove, I will not tolerate rudeness. That's uh that's a great mantra to stick with right there. But we like to share whiskey in the group. We share pictures. We like to talk about whiskey. We have a lot of master distillers in there and uh, industry people who like to come in and answer questions if, if the users have questions. For the most part, we're a bunch of like-minded people like to talk about whiskey and drink bourbon, and it's a lot of fun. And we do invite you to come in and join us. Mike, we do two shows a week, right? Yeah, we do do shows on Mondays for craft distilleries. Sometimes we'll put a big boy in there, but those mainly for the craft distilleries like Free Ranch. On Wednesdays, we do our main episode. We'll have guests on like Kobe, sit around and shoot the shit. Um, bring it. Speaking of that, Jim, I, I just want to address something yeah. um, to all of our listeners out there and to our roadies. You're probably noticing that this past week I have been off of uh, the Bourbon Roadies groups or any other 
bourbon groups out there. That's because Facebook blocked me for saying bourbon bullshitter. I, I guess it's profanity. I didn't know, but apparently that's profanity. My wife said that's profanity. She told me a qu- couple of times that. Uh, <laughs> so shame on Big Chief for saying bourbon bullshitter. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right, we, Mike. We we know you disagree with the with the ruling of the of the Facebook gods, but we have yeah. to live by it. So, all right. Well, we do appreciate everybody who stopped in today to listen to us. We had a great time with Colby and uh, the Frey Distillery. We had uh, a couple of great whiskeys today, and we hope our listeners will all try them. And uh, Mike, we'll see everybody down the Bourbon Road. appreciate all of our listeners and we'd like to thank you for taking time out of your day to hang out with us here on the bourbon road we hope you enjoyed today's show and if so we would appreciate if you'd subscribe and rate us a five star with a review on itunes make sure you follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at the bourbon road that way you'll be kept in the loop on all the bourbon road happenings you can also visit our website at thebourbonroad.com to read our blog listen to the show or reach out to us directly We always welcome comments or suggestions, and if you have an idea for a particular guest or topic, be sure to let us know. And again, thanks for hanging out with us. 